Hi, and welcome to the First Time Founders Podcast, the show where we talk about how to start a business and take it from nothing and grow it into something meaningful. Today, I'm delighted to talk to Jeremy Dunderdale. Jeremy's best known in the UK hospitality community for his tenure as the longstanding CIO of TGI Fridays. Now, Jeremy's been a, a, a hospitality IT executive for something like 30 years. So he literally saw the transformation of one of the UK's great consumer sectors from fully analog to now almost fully digitally enabled. Um, he, that means that he's dealt with early stage entrepreneurs or entrepreneurs at various different stages of maturity all the way through his career, um, breaking down barriers and creating new opportunities in a very rapidly digitizing sector. In this interview, he talks about how one might go about selling to a big brand when you're representing a small startup, um, shares some pet peeves around uh, techniques that entrepreneurial salespeople sometimes adopt that maybe don't work for him. He also name drops a few UK hospitality entrepreneurs that I happen to know. Um, some of them are friends in my personal life. Fortunately, he, has, he says nice things about many of them and actually shares details of some of the tactics that allowed those entrepreneurs and their businesses to get into TGI Fridays. He also does some stargazing and shares where he thinks the biggest opportunities are for new founders in the hospitality sector. I think you're really going to get a lot of value from this conversation. So sit back, get a cup of tea, a biscuit, and enjoy this amazing conversation with a great hospitality IT executive, Jeremy Dunderdale. Jeremy, welcome to the First Time Founders Podcast. Thank you for doing this. Thanks, Rob, for the invite. No, it's my great pleasure. So, so now, many people that are um, in or connected to the hospitality industry, whether they're operators or founders, will know you probably best for your, your um, I think it was more than a decade running technology for TGI Fridays. Um, for those that perhaps don't know you as well, would you mind giving some context in, in, in what I think is most interesting about your tenure there and all of your experiences is that you basically presided over a period where hospitality went from almost entirely analog to very much digitally enabled. And of course, you were leading one of the great brands through that transition. So just would you mind just saying a few words about how technology and hospitality changed while you were uh, occupying that role or the roles either side? Yes. So um, I've sort of been uh, been in the hospitality set for, I was just thinking, over 30 years now. And the last 25 or so dedicated to IT. And the first five, I was probably tinkering with IT. And I say IT and I say tinkering. And that's because way back then you had paper systems. So, and this wasn't just in small businesses. This was in large businesses. So um, Garner Merchant, or should I call them Sodexo now? They were even Massive. doing paper systems. And you had your daily sales sheet. And you had your something called your CPTS and your control performance documents. And you completed those weekly or daily or depending. And then you added them to a monthly sheet. And then you added them to another document. Now, 123 was around and Excel, I suppose, was in its infancy. So I suppose one thing I did was I soon realized you could computerize those daily paper documents 
and um, I suppose that was my way into IT. Uh, and to give listeners context, Sodexo now have something bonkers like a hundred thousand employees. It's an enormous business, yes. and just imagine the wastage of human beings yeah. doing a whole bunch of repeat, repetitive yeah. tasks. Yeah, and actually, going on from there, I even before I heard of their in-house product called Profit, um, I actually did the spreadsheets, and then um, I trialed Profit profit for the hospitality side of the business rather than the contract catering and they developed it further to be suitable for hospitality set to which it's doing more than your nine thousand pounds a week it's doing quite often more than nine thousand pounds a day and their first iteration was resolve um, revolving around income of about £9,000 a week on a right. Monday to Friday business. Saturday and Sunday didn't exist. So it's come a long way. And um, throughout that time, you've got to look at what areas move first. And I think I mentioned uh, and I mentioned before, finance generally was probably one of the first solutions. And when I say finance, I include payroll side of it, not necessarily the HR keeping off records, but certainly the payroll side, partly because more and more legislation was coming in and um, they were trying to crack down on things like tax and things. And um, you started um, computerizing that. So IT was a bit of an offshot or, or offshoot, sorry, of um, finance. And it can still be, but IT now sits across the whole business. You can't. Well, you, very, you very kindly sent me an email, didn't you? You said, yeah. you said like, uh, I don't know if you're happy to read it or I can read oh, it. Oh, yeah. Like, no, I'm happy to read it. The breadth of technologies. Yeah. yeah. It's astonishing. I yeah. think for I, people that don't, aren't aware, hmm. uh, that would be amazing, Jeremy. Uh, and I think I was looking at solution stacks, or should I say, different applications and I tried to break them down into groups. I looked at HR or people solutions and you look at things like e-learning, internal communications. So do you have an internal WhatsApp, internal Yapster, um, you name it, they exist these days. Um, <laughs> ATS for your recruitment. So um, again, way, way back, I created an access database to handle cashier staffing for um, a one-week event each year, which we were needing over several thousand employees for. But now there's companies um, having their ATS solutions. Then you've got the genuine HR management, so keeping their records and everything like that. You've got scheduling. So when are they working? When aren't they working? And that's just the HR stack. I've been involved in all of those. Then I'm going to go on to marketing. And marketing is probably one which has come a long way. And compared to some sectors, we're probably still a bit behind. And it's always interesting to listen to the marketeers about how powerful CRM is and stuff like that. And I think as we talk, we'll probably talk about that a bit further. But marketing you've got things like your website 
and is it a internal website external website so intranet internet you've got e-commerce loyalty um customer relationship management so crm are you selling gift cards are you doing this promotion that promotion and then you're coming into could be marketing but then more operations reservation systems and I called it space management, I think, on the email, mainly because in a restaurant, you're booking a table. In a conferencing or venue solution, or, I mean, sorry, conferencing center or hotel, you're obviously booking something different like a bedroom or rooms. Right. And then you're actually, if you're booking a room, you want to know the menu they're having. You want to know, do they need any... Um, overhead projectors or anything like this telephone lines and stuff so the reservation solutions have to handle that and I remember putting in a reservation system to the location I was talking about the casual um, database and it was quite primitive I suppose for the time however you could book a room you could add your telephone, so the big um, exhibition hall. You actually, we actually implemented telephone line. We actually putting telephone lines and so telephone lines to people. So that's another. It's amazing because people just assume this stuff's always been there, right? Like it's so cool. Oh, yeah. You literally like pick the vendors and saw this stuff go in innovation yeah. by innovation. And I think that's it. This was late nineties, and. Um, so it was days before um, telephone line, uh, before VoIP and things. So we put in a couple of ISDN lines. Now, we did this because we'd already had two clients say, well, we need, to tel we need telephone lines in for this. We need telephone lines in for that. And we put them in. And then after a month or however long they were needed for, they just sat there and the supplier paid for them. But we thought, hang on, why are we putting these in each time? Let's put them in and actually offer it as an additional service. Now, you look at places like Excel Center and, uh, and the other conference centers, anywhere you go, you can buy that automatically, like Wi-Fi as well. And Wi-Fi is now utility. It's like gas, water, electricity. You right. can't go somewhere without it. So you can see it's not just the solutions, it's the infrastructure behind it is critical. Um, and then, so we, I've talked a bit about that, but how do you maintain your ovens or your refrigeration and stuff? So you're looking at reactive maintenance solutions, proactive maintenance solutions. You're then looking at temperature monitoring solutions. and again how they have come along and with smart technology the size of them it's like you had a device the size of let's think an ipad uh, maybe twice as thick as an ipad and now they're the size of your airpods charging case if not smaller yeah, and that's wasn't it the yeah yeah the, the, um, the, the pace and the breadth of innovation has just been completely yeah, crazy. I yeah. um, 
it's tempting to think. I mean, when you've seen as much change in an industry and digitization as you have, is it tempting to think that it's all been done, or do you still see opportunities for new entrants now, or do you think we're reaching like the sort of the end of the S curve and it's all going to be incremental innovation in hospitality? Um, um going forward? I think there is still stuff to come, and I think you've got at the moment a lot of these solutions are still fairly standalone. You haven't necessarily got the integrations, and I think from us working together previously, you know how I am about automations and integrations and wanting to <laughs> enter the information once and then it automatically flows to where it needs in a nearless um, instant manner. Um, <laughs> it manages the security and things as well. Yeah, I mean, I do know, obviously, like you're very popular in the industry and I've always enjoyed our conversations because you're friendly, but you're super straightforward. And so you always know where you stand yeah. with you. But dealing with you as a professional IT um, buyer and leader, very, very different dealing with a sort of line of business executive, you know, an operations director or an HR director in, in hospitality. And you're right. You've mentioned a couple of things there, like are the integrations real or are, they, are you just saying you can integrate? Um, is this thing secure and resilient? Yeah. Uh, business stakeholders generally don't ask you for that. How, is that how you would characterize the difference between selling to in, uh, professionalized IT versus business stakeholders? How do you think Yes, I think um, the business or operators are interesting. How easy is it to use? What it looks like? and how complicated is the training and implementation going to be? And I remember kicking and um, people kicking and screaming when I told them, actually, you've now got to use a spreadsheet to enter your sales figures, not a piece of paper. It's come <laughs> a long, long way since then. Um, can you imagine, right, um, running paper? I know some, of the, some places still do, but a till system where you haven't actually typing into a till you're manually writing your tickets taking them through to the kitchen and then you're manually adding it up it's doesn't seem logical now but... I, I i can't really picture that if i'm honest because i i'm so i'm 40 now obviously yep. i didn't do that much underage drinking you know when i did it was, <laughs> it, was, it was it was more in a romford bus stop than a pub so i, I didn't remember i don't remember sort of yep. um the way pubs works from a digital perspective, but you know, Stuart, the CEO at Zonal, he yes. was telling me about when his family founded Zonal, they actually had a venue and they got their first big contract when I think it was Bass or one of the big yes. kind of brewers. Someone stopped in for a beer and uh, the transaction was processed on a Zonal till. And apparently it was a guy, the guy said, um, what the hell is that? Like, explain it to me. And he, um, they ended up putting in a purchase order for the digitization of yep. Bass, and the rest is history. Zonal are now the sort of leading independent, yeah, because because of that. But the guy had never seen it before, despite running Bass. <laughs> oh, exactly. And I think I remember those days where do you? I um, you had a standalone till, no idea of stock controlling the till solution. You probably had to type in the price you had to know the prices or the prices were stuck on the pumps <laughs> can and, you imagine the amount of stealing that must have gone on like pissed up bar bartenders like you know um hilarious no comment let's just say i was a witness for um, the prosecutioning um 
um, one instance. So, uh, yes, but even then, even at those simple times where, and I don't know if they're still around on, on the Chrome, but we had a little till and a, you uh, programming was for um, eight characters and it had your two reels. So you had your journal reel and your receipt reel and they were both paper, no electronic storage off your journals. <laughs> and you had your Z readings and it's like, well, why is these not matching? You would cash and up at the end of the shift, wouldn't you? You would cash up at the end of the shift and you would take it to, in this case, it were, and I'll name them, It was I was working at Thorpe Park. And the bank, you took it down to the bank and it's like, well, according to this, we should have £2,000 in sales based on the Z readings. We've actually got 1,200. Hmm. <laughs> and that was my first inkling that, hang on, there's more to it than this. If this got this, you've got to be able to trace it and stuff like that. And very soon we realized that somebody was getting one float, opening two tills. <laughs> now, Although those three tills within the bar were talking to each other, you didn't think about actually all the tills across your whole estate would report into a central hub. And you could see that uh, in 15 minute increments and you could be anywhere in the world doing that. And at Fridays, I remember our CFO being on holiday and it's a case of, Where's my sales? Why are my sales not there? Or um, sending an email, great sales today. And it's like, but you're on holiday. You're sort of in India or wherever he was um, traveling to. And actually, it wasn't just the CFO. The CEO was doing it, particularly over the weekend, because the weekends. Because they could see it for the first time. Yeah. (laughs) And I think, but. It wasn't joined up. They were looking at three or four different solutions to maybe get the full picture. What we need now, and it's moving in the right direction, but it's still, I don't think really it's still there, even with the likes of Forth and the likes of Access Group, and Access Group maybe not creating it themselves, but buying multiple businesses up and then trying to integrate them to certain um, extents you're starting to get a central hub but that date to warehouse side of stuff isn't necessarily there um oh that's so interesting is that where you you think that's the really big opportunity to do? i mean it makes sense i mean the business sona that bought yapster back yeah. by google the the whole strategy at sona is this well it's it, you know they will integrate with anybody because that's the customer has to get what the customer needs but the vision and the and the the, um, the hypothesis that underpins the funding is that actually the the industry needs to bundle software again. It's time now, after fifteen years of unbundling, for vendors to emerge that that, that do more. It's interesting that you think that's that. in, Whether, that's, you know, that's interesting. That's interesting because I don't think necessarily bundling it is correct. You can have modules, and you can buy yeah. different modules, but I think. You can still have 
your kitchen management module coming from supplier A, whereas your EPOS solution comes from supplier B, and actually your purchasing solution comes from supplier C, so long as they integrate. And um, I think that's the more important thing, because what do you tend to find? And this You're is so right, by the way. The Sona CTO would shoot me for calling it bundling. You're right, because he talks about... API connectivity between yeah. in-house and, exter- and yeah. third-party modules. So you're absolutely right. Oh, it's all right. I know. See, listeners, I, t- I told I told you Jeremy is uh, is friendly but firm. <laughs> I, t- I think um, I, I know Stuart as well. So um, I know um, he'll, he'll understand the layman's terms. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it is quite a small club, isn't it, hospitality? It's oh, so it's very small. How- you know, even though people think of the brands as enormous and nationwide, which they are, there's probably, there's only a, maybe, a, I don't know, a few hundred, a few thousand sort yeah. of people making these purchasing decisions across the yeah. whole sector for, for all of the UK's consumer activity as it relates to food and drink. Oh, it's staggering. And I think we're quite, we're quite good now with the controls for your food your purchasing and and your regulatory controls so like allergen management and stuff and stuff like stuff like allergen management has really come on in leaps and bounds in the last few years and um Tenkite's a brilliant solution i know there's others out there but stuart stuart uh, tenkite's a great guy yeah yeah um, I knew him with um, I knew him in the days when he actually ran Star. He um, had Star Chef, and before really? he sold it on to um, fourth, it was fourth, wasn't it? Yeah, fourth port, fourth, fourth bought it, let's along with it, with a half a dozen other businesses. This is amazing, I, right? So this, of course, this this podcast is all for first time founders, and the reason I was so excited to have you on is aspiring first time software founders are going to need to impress people in like you in the seat yeah. that you've occupied. Um, what was it about Stuart that, 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 that you liked, that spoke to you, that caused you to be a customer in those early days? I think with any person, you can be pushy and you can be leaving your product. Um, but it's knowing actually when to, ma- when to manage it and to read people. And I think um, Julian from Wireless Social is a um, brilliant character as, uh, as well. And he, yeah, knows, he sort of understands how to read people. Is it appropriate to push business or is this a social? Uh, is it a chat? And I think Stuart understood he, he would demo it or one of his team would demo it, probably at Star Chef days, it was very much him involved. And um, it's a case of maybe he, he wouldn't be hassling you constantly. And you think, ah, oh, I remember this solution. Let's go back and chat to Stuart. And it might be... He's very trustworthy time. as well, isn't he? Yeah. He's like, it, he's a very no bullshit guy. Yeah. And that's what I like. It's There's no point. If you're going to try and... <laughs> You've got your sales guys, and so many of so many times businesses will say, "This is your account manager." Is it my account manager or my sales manager? <laughs> and I'll actually sit down first time and meet them. What are you? What's your role? Are you constantly trying to sell me stuff, 
or are you going to actually be there for when I've got problems and actually escalate things, get things sorted and get me a good deal and we get a win-win situation? They must, there must be some, that must be an awkward conversation occasionally when it's a, a sales manager posing as an account manager that doesn't have the authority to fix anything for you. Um, it can be. But I think... Although I don't suppose they last very long with you, so I don't suppose that happens that often, actually. (laughs) No, they don't. They don't last long. But what I don't do is I don't abuse my knowledge of people within the sector. And I think that's important, that I know the people, the owners of a number of businesses, and I know very senior people within the um, sector. And I don't escalate to them. But if I make a phone call to, say wireless the guest wireless wasn't working in the venue and there were some problems i wouldn't just phone julian just julian this isn't working it's i follow the correct escalation processes and i think where you benefit as somebody within any business is don't always go to the top follow the correct escalation paths because... Oh, oh my gosh, like you're very rare in that sense, though, aren't you? I mean, one of the things I struggled with as a founder going from early stage to starting to scale up is in the early days, you very much trade on mm. this is my business. I am going to run through walls for you. I will always be here. Here's my personal number. Mm. Don't worry about that. I'm on holiday or whatever. Yeah. And then <clears throat> as it scales, you're still as committed as you were, but you realize that you start dropping balls, even though you're trying your hardest, yeah. there just aren't enough hours in the day. Yeah. And I did a lousy job for about nine months of transitioning to using ticketing systems and processes without it starting to feel cold. And I really could have used more people like you earlier explaining to me why having robust systems and processes, as well as that kind of like tender, loving founder care type culture is, is the winning combination. Ultimately, business is about forming partnerships. It's not about, we're all in there to make money. I'm not trying to screw you to, down to the last cent, so you're giving it to me for nothing. But you shouldn't be trying to rob me blind. It's yeah. we work together. We're in a win-win situation. It benefits both because if we have a good business relationship, if you've got a good product, and yes, there might be challenges with it or this might need developing more it's going to get recommended positive word of mouth is so much better than actually negative but what do you tend to hear more do you just look at social media or something constant negativity let's try and be positive let's win and win but and it's not i know this is for found founders but as you think about exiting the business and selling on, mm. think a bit about where you're selling on to. I've Say had, a bit more about that. I think you have some businesses and it's long ago, it's a long enough time ago to actually talk about it now, I think. But Sonu's been around in the pub sector for some time and um, it was very much seen as a pub sector solution. But then in around 2015, um, Torex, if I remember rightly, was bought by Micros. 
and then a few then maybe about a year later micros was bought by oracle now the problem wasn't oracle buying micros it was micros buying torrets and people were, it was at the time where probably your existing epos platform was becoming end of life and people were looking at moving what was interesting is the growth in business for Zona at that time, because people did not want to be part of the Micros empire because of their um, support services or uh, their lack of willingness to allow third parties to integrate. Now you look at- Oh, that's at so them. interesting. Did that really yeah. boost Zonal? Definitely. And I know a number of businesses who went out of the way to actually move to Zono and actually because, uh, because they didn't want Micros involved and Torex because one of the big things was our Torex had maybe 97 or so different solutions. Ultimately, it was a custom built solution per business. And how do you support that? You mm -hmm. can't really support it. And I think that's the great thing with software now, the agility to customize it as well. So the look and feel can be unique to TGI Fridays, unique to Pizza Express, unique to Wagamama, but actually the back end, the engine of it is the same. And I think in yeah, the early yeah. days, it wasn't so much possible to do that. I think that's right. And I agree with you that you need to be thoughtful about yeah. when, you, when you exit a business. If you yeah. care but about I don't think I answer, I don't think, yeah. I don't think I really answered the question. I think I sort of um, drifted a bit, a bit. but I, I've seen it where businesses are purchased and they lose their way. So you might have had challenges with support, but oh. This business is bought so and so. Actually, I already know their support's bad. What's it going to become like? And <laughs> I've experienced it in a few incarnations. And some businesses learn quickly and sort it out. And I think um, Oracle, certainly when they bought Micros, took hold of them and um, really shook it up to say, look, guys, how can we support a thousand and one sort of, I think, uh, actually, that's a bit too many. I think it was about 103, they said at the conference I attended, and, um, 103 solutions. And how can we do X, Y, and Z? And went through tough times. But I think you look at their support model and things now compared to what it was, but you then look at some others and They've bought maybe half a dozen companies or so. How have they integrated it? They haven't. There's still six Absolutely. or seven different solutions. Now, Oracle now open APIs available. So I remember when they, it was very restricted. They wouldn't they didn't want you integrating to another kitchen management solution. So you've got Micros, which is perfectly adequate kitchen management solution you've then got qsr which has got i suppose the bells and whistles and then you've got logwood somewhere else in the um, scope of things and you've got zonu's offering 
And well, you know, one of the things I um, one of the things I find so interesting, a bit of a shout out for Zonal, is um, it's interesting because they're the only scale family owned technology supplier now, and and no one. No one's without their issues. All of us yeah. on software companies, you know, make mistakes at times and need to get better. But what I think is interesting about they, them as a potential home for <clears throat> smaller startups that need to exit is um, you at least know that they're trying to manage that business genuinely for the long term. And they do understand that, like, the, the loyalty and the health of their customers is the only thing that's going to give that business longevity to continue supporting their family. I think that's very interesting. I mean, the gen my generation of sort of founder taking VC money, angel money, kind of it being preordained that you're going to sell the company on the day you start it. Even if you don't want to, once yeah. you've taken money like that, you don't have any choice. There's a very, very small pool of acquirers to whom you can sell and not in any way feel conflicted with the um, the pr prior promises you've made yeah. to your customers. And part of the reason we sold Gapster to Sona was because although they're backed by Google, it's a very long-term time horizon. And if the founders are able to deliver on their ambitions, it'll be a long growth journey. And I hope for their sake, it ends in IPO rather than a, than a trade sale. But we at least know that there's no plan to flip the business quickly and strip yeah. all the cost out. Um, and I genuinely was concerned about that. I can I th And it's nice to hear you sort of vocalize it too because i think founders do need to think about that because your early adopters have invested in you yeah. and you do owe them a duty of care yeah and i've got experiences where i thought why so to them it would have been so much better to <laughs> it would have been so much better to sell to these guys or stuff and i have i've had calls from um, people and stuff, just to forewarn you and then or and then <laughs> i'm thinking well who who are these people buying who are they buying? So I'm phoning around business contacts and I'm thinking they're looking at <laughs> selling and stuff like that. But um, uh, not me. I don't think unless you build that partnership with your supplier, you yeah. don't have the ability to do that. No, you're so right. Let's talk about that then, building the partnership. So how would you, many of the, the software founders listening to this, if they have any aspirations to sell in hospitality, Actually, this advice would be yep. relevant, whichever industry you're targeting. How does a nobody founder get a relationship with someone like you selling to a TGI Fridays or a coat or whatever? Like, how do you as a nobody sell to a somebody? Oh, I th now it's an interesting one because I look at a number of different approaches and I remember um, couple of solutions I've looked at and it's like I will happily help somebody develop I will happily say to them well not now but if you did x y and z it would help and I've seen one at least three products developed quite well successfully based on feedback and thing there's a solution out there which is in a um, number of venues and some of the big contract caterers and I remember going down to a restaurant just outside Southampton probably six seven years maybe even longer than that now but six seven years ago and it was a little tablet device sat on the table and allowing people to order now I 
been over to the US a few times and seen them in the US a um, number of years before then. But here they were, and it was a father and son business. And our ops guys had seen, had um, heard about it. So our um, the marketeers within the business, and I say marketeers, it was a father and son business at that time. Um, had actually demoed it and thought, oh, this looks good. And we went and saw it. We gave them some feedback on development and they developed. Yeah. And then back in 2020 or so, they came back and um, they sold it into the business. No, I was, I had, I was in the process of leaving the business at the time, but they sold it into the business. Um, and it had come on a long way since then. Um, and your role in that had been what? Like giving them some advice as to what the product needed to become in order to be saleable. So they, yes. again, a bit like your point with Stuart, they they didn't push you to buy when you weren't ready to buy. Um, that there was a bit of pushing, but... <laughs> um, I think you've already realized I'm up front. I say it as it is. And it's like they realized actually <laughs> go away. So what I found is sometimes, oh, well, I'm not getting anywhere going there. So let's try a different angle. Let's talk to somebody else in that business. What ha- what they fail <laughs> to realize is it then comes back to me. <laughs> yeah, right. And how did, you, how did you feel about that? Because you're very good humored about it, aren't you? I, I love it that you... I love it that you're really honest about your own mistakes. And we haven't yeah. really got into that here because no. there's so much to cover. Yeah. But you also don't hold, as I mean, I guess if someone does something really bad to you, maybe you hold a grudge. But you're very chill about the fact that people need to earn a living and you want people to be respectful and not bullshit you. But, like, you know, it kind of is what it is, right? Like these entrepreneurs yes. need to try and survive. Um, and I suppose there's been, in my time, yes, I've fallen out with two or three um, people and uh, maybe it's taken <laughs> two or three years to um, get talking again. Um, some of them, um, I think I still remember, I still remember um, conversations sat in their offices and they say something and I said, but hang on, five years ago, you told me this. I've got a memory <laughs> like an elephant. And <laughs> let's say, let's just say, he did not like that I remembered it. Uh, I was at that <laughs> meeting with the CFO. The CFO uh, looked at me and thought, hmm. And I've been at other meetings where people have said, <laughs> hmm. Yeah, you don't take the bullshit. And it's right, I don't. Um, Jeremy, what, what is the, if you don't mind me interrupting, what is the right approach to someone developing a wider community of sort of stakeholder awareness where you've given them some advice and you've said not now? Do they keep you in the loop? Do they? What's the right thing to do if they like think, need to build a wider stakeholder community? I think being kept in the loop is right, and I think um, let's talk while a social for a moment, if I can. I, oh, I'm ne- Julian's a mate. I'm nervous. <laughs> <laughs> I know, no, no, nothing bad. I knew of wireless social before they were yeah. wireless social, and um, then somebody from our marketing team went to a venue which had wireless social and thought hmm, this is good 
By and the way, listener disclosure, my, my wife Lena is currently marketing director at Wireless Social. Oh, so right. I did, okay. I, I did not put Jeremy up to this. Section. Oh, right. Okay. That's a new one. I didn't even know that. Um, I know a lot of people at Wireless Social. I did not know your wife was it's a there. It's a very small industry, as you say. We yeah. met at an industry dinner. But do carry on because this is yeah. fascinating. Yeah. And um, then um, I was bit, and then it was a case of, oh, yeah, seen these guys. And then. Um, one of my business contacts who um, is no longer in the sector but um, put in wireless social in their restaurants. Unfortunately, the um, brand is a lot different to what it was uh, when um, he was working there. And um, he mentioned it and it's like, oh, this sounds interesting. And then um, I think I got introduced to him at an event. I can't remember what event it was. But he wasn't doing the selling. And I think Wireless Social for a while was probably the best kept secret. And I think clearly he's learned he needs a marketing team. And he's now got <laughs> that. <laughs> and they seem to be doing an excellent job. And I've known a few people who have worked for Wireless Social within that sort of area. And, and did uh, they... So did, was the... The way they got into your business then was kind of getting on your radar, not selling to you, yeah. building customer success stories kind of in your orbit. Like it was yes. a, a full court press, was it? No, it wasn't. But it took them probably about 15 months to get in the business. So we were with one of the main free Wi-Fi providers and... Um, we came up to the end of the first three-year deal and they renewed us for a year. I didn't want to renew, but let's just say things going on in the business, which meant it wasn't appropriate time to move. And I thought, yeah, okay, course. I've only renewed for a year. I now got to work on that changing the solution. And sometimes I have to think, I need a new solution, but I'm not going to get the permission to do it unless I can actually show that it's working. So we did a small pilot. We sat down in one of our restaurants and worked out how we could capitalize it and stuff like this. And essentially, we did a win-win conversation. And it took a couple of occasions. And it's like, you've robbed me blind was his response to me and it's like no i've i've given you a good deal and being a re uh, you've got a good <laughs> reference site and it's like we shook on it we did business and um, then our marketing guy started to get involved and conversations and i think one of the conversations it's quite casual conversation led to wireless social um, bringing out hedgehog yeah, which they call they um what are they calling that now? It's like um uh incentives or something. I oh right, they're okay. Like just they're, they're definitely branding it more literally. I agree. And again, for listeners that don't know the people we're talking about in the business, this is a um, a restaurant wireless platform that you would log into when you get onto restaurant Wi-Fi, which then enables the marketing team to sort of send you those drip campaign type content to your email, but also with this product that Jeremy's talking about, Hedgehog, it enables them to, um, Jeremy, how do you describe it? Like what, what does that it to do? Like enables right? you to get a free offer drink. promotions to your guests without any financial implication 
on you as the business. You actually get given those free drinks or whatever the promotion is from the suppliers or manufacturers of those products. So a big one of the um, providers they work with is Heineken. So Heineken will decide they wish to promote certain brand product and say, right, okay, we're prepared to give 5,000 pints of X away. Which of your customers are interested in actually using this incentive? You as the customer will say, actually, yeah, I'm interested in trying to have a thousand of those. So you are giving away a thousand pints, but Heineken, by wireless social, are essentially paying you to actually give those guests a drink. So where's the loss? The guest thinks, wow, I'm getting a free drink. You're thinking that free drink where the guest is thinking, Yep, this business is good. Thinking, yeah, I like these guys. Are getting that free drink, while a social are probably getting a bit more information and getting getting some more analytics. And I think their insights within the business, particularly through COVID, was amazing. And how yeah. business is regrown and things. And sorry, this isn't a pitch to go to Wireless Social. It's, uh, <laughs> well, um, we, I, I have talked about how you do a pilot. Yeah, I have talked about Zonu. I've talked about others. And um, I think. Don't worry. You're, no one would think you're biased. You are the most like <laughs> yeah. brutally even handed person I know. Yeah. Don't worry about that. I, <laughs> Jeremy, can you just. I know that I'm being greedy for your time, but if you can yeah. spare me some more time, like what I would love to get into now, because it sort of builds on the wireless social um, success story. Pilots. Yes. Um, how important is it to the. To, to be thoughtful around around a pilot if you're an early stage untested platform um wanting to build a long-term durable business and have good relationships partnerships with, okay. with customers i think you need to before you even do a pilot be very clear on both sides what you are going to be measuring and um how you are actually going to score it. It's a case of, well, we've got to have a positive outcome, but how are you going to judge a positive outcome? Oh, well, we'll ask, we'll ask some people, but hang on. Off, you are doing a three-week trial along this location, that location, that location. We will seek um, 75% of our users to receive feedback. And off that, over 60% need to say, yes, this is better or whatever the numbers you agree. And I've had suppliers saying, oh, well, we'll give it to you, approve it, so in no time. And it's a case hmm. of, but how are you going to prove it? Well, we'll take 1% of every sale and we'll do X, Y, and Z, and you'll see you get incremental sales. And it's like, but you're taking away the experience from the customer. So, yeah, yeah you have to be clear with those guys. Yeah, and you're totally right. And it's not just founders that don't get it. I think there are a lot of operators, particularly in hospitality, where there's not always professionalized IT with the sort of the number of flying hours yeah. that you've got, for example. Um, often they don't know what they're buying or why, and they've sort of 
got some desperate founder in, which has sort of avoided building a proper business case. And then they do some half cock pilot and nobody knows what's going on. And I think I've heard of um, one where a restaurant business decided to put in a kitchen management system and they went for the Rolls Royce solution and um, they put it in. There was no briefing from really either side beforehand with a clear (laughs) scope of what would be delivered and how they would judge success. And I suppose the team within the restaurant could say, well, you're doing this because you want to cut down the number of chefs in the kitchen. No. That and these not... are your key stakeholders, right? And these are the key state, stakeholders. <laughs> and I think in a business which relies on human interaction, very much your waiters, your kitchen team, and it's like getting hotels. So whoever, any business which relies on face-to-face contact unless you get your stakeholders buy-in and the stakeholders understand what the benefit is because the stakeholders if they're seeing something some automation going in they're going to think that's to get rid and I actually think now is probably a really good time in the um, sector to look at how can we Using the data we've got and using the few people we've got ought to make things more. So actually, the guest complaints drop because there aren't enough um, employees or team on the floor and stuff like that. And I think people will blame Brexit and we're not here to talk Brexit, but people will blame COVID because people ended up being put on furlough and they decided I actually want a different type of job. And I think Mm. there is a global issue with um, staffing levels across most businesses. But hospitality, the vacancies are just crazy. Now, you are not going to be able to get robots in to interact and do your flaring on behind the bar or cooking your food or chatting to the guests, finding out, oh, we're about to go to the theatre or something. But something within that area needs to be done to how we understand our guest. So all that date we've got in these 10, 20, 30, however many different solutions we've got, how we can mine that, analyze that data um, to understand our guest, not only understand our guest, understand our team and how the two can work together, partly to increase the company's um, profits, which is an obvious one, but to increase your net promoter score or your guest satisfaction, to give that wow to your guest. And also to maintain the employees within your business. So what are they getting out of it? Is it they're getting more 
tips. And I think with what the government's doing now, legislation-wise, that's for another conversation. But um, yeah, you've got to look at that bigger picture. And only by pulling data from every source are you going to be able to do that. And you've got fourth with their data warehouse and analytics, but is it missing data from there or is it missing data from there? You've got businesses trying to build their own data warehouses. You've got some startups out there. And I still don't think there is a business being successfully getting all that data together and really analyzing it. You're analyzing one area, like how do I get more guests in? So you've got the marketing side. And I was on a um, webinar yesterday with um, Sono, or who actually Airship, who are now part of Sono, and um, Datahawks. And I've worked with um, with her um, previously. So I know both businesses and listening to them and it's like all of it was about the guest and it's right if you're looking at it from the marketing side you're looking at it from the guest side but how are you looking at it from labor productivity side and wastage and all of that and I think that is I think still massively missing what uh, I mean Talk about laying down the gauntlets of founders. Listening and I'm sorry, I think you, I've not you a didn't ask me, but I think, yeah. No, I mean, listen, it's a perfect way to end because actually whether you are a supplier founder, that's clearly a, it's a good tip on where you think the greatest transformational opportunity is to be providing something supply chain side. And if you are a operator founder, mm. arguably this is how you should be thinking yeah. about bringing together the, you know, yeah. building on the last 20 years of tech innovation. Jeremy, if... Um, if there are founders out there that need a big hitting CIO to come in and make the magic happen, um, are people welcome to reach out to you? Can I include yep. your LinkedIn in the show notes yes. or something? Yes, uh, you, you can. You're, you're happy to just add, send you a connection request and yep. you'll pick up the conversation. Yep. And that. actually, please, though, reference the podcast because I'm getting so many invitations and I don't and I do actually decline quite a lot because I've not got a clue who they are. <laughs> yeah, and we'll do. I'll do a separate session on uh, cold, cold calling, cold <laughs> some other time. Jeremy, this has been unbelievably insightful. Thank you so much for investing so much time. I know we went over a little bit, but um, people are going to get a lot of value from.